Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. Good morning. In case you didn't realize, it is Resurrection Sunday. Woo! It's the greatest day in history, as Pavey pointed out this morning. The greatest day in history. We are celebrating today that Jesus rose triumphantly from the grave. We are meeting here today because of that first Sunday, that first Resurrection Sunday, the first day of the week. They didn't call it Sunday back then, they called it the first day of the week. We meet in celebration because the early church met in celebration on that first day of the week. We celebrate that Jesus did what he said he was going to do. He said that he would die and that he would rise again. So we're here today because of Jesus. There are the four major religions in the world that celebrate, uh, that worship a personality. Christianity is the only one that is unique. Judaism, they worship Moses, Mosaic law. Buddhism has Buddha. Islam has Muhammad. And we have Jesus. But Christianity is unique. Why is it unique? Because of the resurrection. We are the only people who worship one who is still alive, who was dead and came back to life again. We are the only ones who claim that Jesus is alive. So if you believe this morning, I want you to rejoice. If you're well, at home watching us, I want you to rejoice this morning because you're in good company. Who, who else would you rather spend today with? Who is wonderful faces around? You're in good company. But what happened that first Sunday? What happened on the first Resurrection Sunday? What happened that day? We come and we sing worship songs. We get the resurrection power in us. Instead of free, we sing these songs what about the first Resurrection Sunday, that original one, when Jesus rose? Did that day start off with joy? It was the day that Jesus was coming back. Wasn't there some anticipation, some excitement? Yes? Maybe not. This morning we're going to look at, we're going to look at the first Resurrection Sunday. We're going to see what happened, who was there, or what it means for us. So let us pray as we open God's Word together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much. Lord, we come and celebrate Resurrection Sunday. We come and celebrate that Jesus rose again from the grave. I know that many of us have been to many Easter services before, but your word tells us that it is like a double-edged sword. And I pray this morning that you would speak to us in a new way. As Pavey prayed this morning, that we would give us revelation this morning, that it would cut to our heart this morning, that you would reveal something to us. Let us look at your word this morning with fresh eyes as you speak to us and give us new revelation about the significance of Resurrection Sunday. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at John 20 this morning, starting with verse 1. Remember, we left them here, maybe left them, Jesus was on the cross, and then he was taken down from the cross and Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus put him in the tomb after giving him the proper Jewish burial rites and then the tomb was sealed and a guard was placed in front of it. And so that was three days ago. I wake up this morning and it says, Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped in and looked in, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had been covering Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. 
For until then, they hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. After what was probably the worst lockdown in history, they spent three days locked up after Jesus had died. Mary decides she's had enough. She's going to get up early on Sunday. She gets up early while it's still dark. It was the fourth watch of the night, the fourth guard watch, between three and six. So she gets up before the sun. The four Gospels each present their own specific details of women, Mary, angels, guards, and disciples. All that means is that each Gospel writer chose to focus on something specific for their Gospel, for their audience. Today we are looking at John's Gospel, and his focus is on Mary. That's where he puts his focus on her very personal encounter. In this portion of scripture, we see three different people who each have a look in three different ways, despite the fact they're seeing exactly the same thing, an empty tomb and its contents. We, as John's audience, we are taught about three different kinds of seeing, three different kinds of seeing. Our first witness is Mary, who went to the tomb with the other women, as mentioned in the other gospels, but she got there first. And John only mentions Mary. She, on her own, she found the stone. The stone had been moved. She saw, she found. The tomb had been disturbed, and so she ran to get Peter. That might seem like a simple enough story, but our language sometimes doesn't understand, doesn't translate well what was actually going on. And the first witness we see, Mary saw. She saw the tomb turn. She saw Bleppo. Not to be confused with Groucho or Harpo or Chico. Bleppo. The original word blepo means observed and examined what she saw. So she ran there and she saw and she examined and she made a deduction very quickly. She decided that the stone being moved has meant that someone has taken Jesus' body. She didn't deduce that Jesus has risen from the dead. She didn't decide that the resurrection had occurred, but simply that the only reasonable explanation was that someone, grave robbers, Pharisees, Romans, somebody had stolen his body. And in her distress, she runs to tell Peter. So Peter and John, hearing the news, they set out together running to the tomb. And not to go unnoticed, they left poor Mary in their dust. Okay? They didn't bring her with them. Like, she was left behind. It's not very gentlemanly. And also not to go unnoticed, in case you missed it, John got there first. And he's very clear to mention that mansion. He got there first. So if any doubt... John is the fastest disciple, okay, if you ever wondered. I love that John includes his athletic prowess, which is arguably irrelevant to the story, except for the fact it does explain why John saw first and then Peter saw, because he got there first. So John gets there first, he stoops in, and he sees, he saw. John saw blepo. It's the same word. He examined He examined and weighed carefully. John, like Mary, examines what he sees, but he doesn't make a deduction at that point. Instead, he is observing what is going on. He's examining. He's just looking at the scene. And then Peter comes bounding up last, not content from observing from the entrance. He just goes straight into the tomb, pushes past John, and he sees what John has already observed, the linen wrappings that were on Jesus' body lying there in place. Peter saw. And that word is theoreho. It's a different word. It means that Peter studied and considered the meaning of what he was seeing. This is a different to John's. Because Peter took in the scene before him, just as John was doing at the entrance. But now Peter was fixated on trying to figure out what it meant. He was trying to extract some significance from what he was seeing. But John was still observing. He's just taking it in. The stone is moved. That stone is too big for someone to move. The stones in front of tombs are two or three tons. They were rolled down from a hill in front of the tomb entrance. And so then John goes in. And he sees exactly what Mary and Peter have already seen. There's the linen covering. In the original language, it says the covering was there, still in their folds. That's what it means. When a Jewish body was wrapped for burial, they would take linen strips And then they would soak them in aloes and spices. And then they would place them on the body, fold them into each other, like overlapping them. And then they would harden, of course, and the body would be protected. But the original language says the linen wrappings were lying there, 
still in their folds. They were undisturbed. Had it been grave robbers or Pharisees or Romans and you wanted to steal the body of Jesus, you wouldn't go to the trouble of unwrapping it, would you? You would just take the whole thing. That would be way easier. And even if you were a grave robber and you thought there was some, something of value on the body under the wrappings, you wouldn't carefully unwrap and then rewrap them, would you? You would tear them like it was Christmas morning. Be like this and there'd be stuff everywhere. No, that's not what happened. The wrappings were lying there in the shape of Jesus, still in their folds. So John saw, he looks at this scene, he saw Ido, Ido. He perceived and gained revelation. He saw the same thing that John and Mary saw, or Peter and Mary saw, but he saw it differently. He gained revelation. He saw and he believed. He saw the linen coverings lying there as if Jesus' body had simply just passed through them and they flattened. The folded headcloth, just like a handkerchief over the head, it was folded up and lying neatly. Jesus said that he would rise again and Jesus is not here. And John's like, I get it now. Up until that point, they hadn't understood what it meant when Jesus said he would rise again. But now John goes, I get it. Sometimes we can see something in life, can't we? But we totally miss what it means. God wants us to see the empty tomb and understand what it means. Not just to observe and make a hasty deduction, to be stuck trying to exact meaning, but to perceive what he has done, to have revelation, to understand the significance of the empty tomb. Jesus not being there, they go home. We read on in verse 11 in chapter 20. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied. I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus replied. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go and find my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord, and she gave him his message. So Peter and John have gone home. He's not here. Obviously, they've gone back to tell the other disciples what has gone on. I'm sure John is trying to explain to Peter what has happened, his revelation, and trying to convince the other disciples of what has happened. And in that time, Mary has returned to the tomb after Peter and John have left. She stands there outside the empty tomb. For us this morning, the empty tomb is a symbol of great joy. But not for her. Not for her and her grief. She's standing there outside the empty tomb. And she is so grief-stricken she doesn't even realize she's talking to angels. Elsewhere in God's word, when someone encounters an angel, they usually drop to the ground trembling and fearful. Another gospel has said the guards saw the angels and dropped like dead men. They were stunned. But Mary has no idea that she's talking to angels. Not a clue. She's too wrapped up in her grief. And grief can be like that sometimes, can't it? Whether you're grieving someone or something, Dreams not realized, hopes that have been dashed. Pavey talked about shame on Friday. Shame is like that too. We've been caught up in shame, grief, guilt, regret. All of those things can entomb us. And so we shut the world out. We become numb to what's happening around us. Mary is numb because she's missing what is happening right before her eyes. She doesn't see. Angels are sitting where Jesus was laying. One at the head and one at the foot. And they ask her, angels having a conversation, why are you crying? Not because they didn't know why she was crying. They knew why she was crying. But they were trying to show her what has happened. 
They're trying to reveal to her what this means. It's a reason to rejoice, not to cry. In that scene, the angels have something to show her, something to show us. God has met with us. God has met with us. The angels were reminding Mary that God had, once had walked amongst them. God has met with you. He has walked amongst you. He dwelt amongst you. God met with us. Jesus, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. God walked amongst you. Do you think the grave can hold him? But something more is going on here, as is so often with John's gospel. The scene before Mary, I want you to picture it for me. Mary is standing at the tomb and there's angels inside, one at the head and one at the foot. And they're talking to her. They're dressed in white. They're glowing. Picture that in your mind. They're trying to teach you this. Jesus' tomb is the new mercy seat. Now some of you are like, what does that mean? And some of you are like, hmm, interesting. Jesus' tomb is the new mercy seat. If you know what I'm talking about, hear it again. In Exodus chapter 25, God gives Moses the instructions on how to make the Ark of the Covenant. Very specific instructions. And the Ark of the Covenant was God's presence amongst his people. And the lid of the Ark, the covering of the Ark, was called the Place of Atonement, also known as the Mercy Seat. On the Ark's cover, there were two crafted gold cherubim. Cherubim, of course, are angels. They were facing each other and looking down at the cover as if to protect it. And in verse 22, God speaks and he says this, I will meet with you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim that hover over the Ark of the Covenant. From there I will give you commands for my people of Israel. This is the place where God spoke to his people through Moses. The Ark of the Covenant, between the two angels, the mercy seat, this is where he talked with his people. And now facing Mary in the tomb of Jesus are two angels sitting on either end. This is where God meets his people, in the empty tomb. This is the new mercy seat. Just as God met them under Moses, he meets you here in the empty tomb because Jesus is out of the grave and has made a way for you to meet with God again. This is the new mercy seat. God has paved the way now. He will meet with you here. And it starts with the empty tomb because death has been defeated. This is the message of the angels. This is why they ask, why are you crying? Don't you know what has happened here? You should be rejoicing. Look at what God has done. He wants to meet with you. But Mary is still entombed in her grief. She doesn't know who she's talking to. I hope you see. I hope you see who Mary is talking to. So Mary turns and she sees a man who also asks her, why are you crying? And then asks, who are you looking for? It's funny that word who in that statement is actually often more translated as what than who. What are you looking for? She didn't see it was Jesus. She didn't recognize him. It's just the gardener. Mary did not see who he was or what he had done. She didn't see Jesus. She didn't know what he had done. She didn't even notice it was Jesus. Some people would say that she was kept from recognizing him, just like the two men on the road to Emmaus, which Pavey brought up before. Jesus met with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. I don't think so. I don't think Mary was kept from seeing Jesus. There's no mention of God hiding Jesus' identity in this scene. Mary simply didn't notice I mean, she didn't notice two angels in the tomb, did she? She didn't see Jesus because of one powerful reason. She wasn't looking for a risen Savior. From the very beginning of the day, which is a little while ago, she was always looking for Jesus' body. She was on the search for a corpse, not a risen Christ. She never even considered that Jesus could actually be alive. So her focus is downcast, looking for the dead amongst the living. For her, the grave had taken him away. She didn't see him. 
And she didn't see that what he had done for her. She didn't see the empty tomb for what it really was. She only saw it as a place of emptiness. When I was preparing to do my grandmother's funeral a couple of weeks ago, I did a lot of research because I'd never done a funeral before, so I didn't know exactly what to say. I don't want to say the wrong thing. So I asked Pastor Jim. He gave me some stuff. I asked some other ministers because my grandma was more traditional in her worship and her faith. And while I drew my research, I found this prayer. And it says, Lord Jesus Christ, by your own three days in the tomb, you hallowed the graves of all who believe in you, and so made the grave a sign of hope that promises resurrection, even, if it, even as it claims our mortal bodies. I love that. Jesus hallowed the grave. It's an old word I know. It simply means that he consecrated the grave. He made it holy. He has blessed the grave. The grave is no longer a place of ending. It's not a place of loss or a place of uncertainty. The grave is a place of hope. It's a place of promise. It's a place of resurrection. The grave wasn't meant to be a place of hopelessness any longer. The grave had been transformed. It had been transformed. Mary doesn't recognize Jesus. She thinks he's the gardener. I know if you've read this story before, you can think it's kind of funny. She thinks he's the gardener. What was the gardener doing there before dawn? I have no idea. Why would the gardener move Jesus' body? Like, so it can be kind of funny to think he's the gardener. But she's not far wrong, is she? Actually, she's not wrong at all. When God created man and woman, he placed them into paradise. I love the garden here this morning. Looks better than my garden at home. He placed them into paradise. He placed them into a garden of their very own. And even though they broke their relationship with God, when they tried to be like him, that garden became closed to them. And since that moment, what has God been doing? What was his plan the whole time? Throughout the history of humanity, what has God's focus been? What has he been doing? He's been trying to get his people back into the garden again. That's all he's been doing. He's trying to get us back to the garden, back to paradise. He wants to restore the broken relationship so we can be with him in paradise again. Jesus is the gardener. They're a creation. He made the garden for Adam and Eve. And now he's made the garden the place where he came out of the grave. So we never have to fear the grave again. Jesus says her name. And suddenly she recognizes Jesus. She's overwhelmed. She didn't see Jesus, but she heard him. God's children know his voice. God's children know his voice. It's often said that seeing is believing. I believe it when I see it. But that's not what the word says. In Romans 10, it tells us that faith comes by hearing. Hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. Hearing the message. Mary heard just one word. Her name. And everything was changed. In John 10.3, it says this. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. And the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. God calls us by name because he knows us. He knows every single person in this room, every single person watching online, both now and in the future. Jesus calls Mary and she tries to grab him. She lost him once. She's not going to happen ever again, is she? Nah, she lost him once. She's holding on for dear life. But Jesus tells her, don't cling to me. I'm not going anywhere just yet, Mary. I haven't ascended to the Father yet. Mary, you have a job to do. You have a job to do. And what is that? Go and find my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. She has a message that needs to be proclaimed. Jesus has risen. God has brought us back to him. Jesus tells her to go find his brothers. That's the first time. 
Jesus refers to his disciples as brothers. They've been servants, they've been sheep, they've been lots of things, but never brothers. Now Jesus calls them brothers. You ever noticed that before? He calls them brothers. We are all now part of God's family. That's what it means. Something has changed. The world, when Jesus went into the tomb, is not the same world when Jesus came out of the tomb. Something has changed. The world has been transformed. Jesus came out of the grave and he changed everything. Jesus called them brothers because now they could be brothers. They weren't brothers before because of humanity's broken relationship with God. But now Jesus has paid the price. He went to the cross. He became our sin. He was crucified with our sin. So we have nothing stopping us from being with God. In Hebrews 2.11 it says this, So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. He calls you brothers and sisters. We all share the same Father, Heavenly Father. Jesus tells Mary that he'll be ascending to his Father and your Father, to my God and your God. We are now part of the same family. You belong with me and I belong with you. You can have a relationship with your Heavenly Father now that you couldn't before. You believe in who Jesus is and what he has done. And because of that, you become part of his family. This is Resurrection Sunday, the day where everything changed because Jesus came out of the grave. It was a long day that day. And so we come to nightfall. And in John 20, chapter 19, we read on. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish believers, Jewish leaders. Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is still the same day. It's a long day. And where are the disciples? They're hiding. That's where they are. They're hiding. They're afraid of those whom had Jesus killed. But then Jesus appears before them. Didn't come through the window, in case you're wondering. He appeared before them, through the locked door. He shows them their, his wounds, and they receive him with joy. But Jesus has come with a purpose. He says to them that just as the Father has sent him, he is now sending them. It is in this moment that they are no longer his disciples. They are now apostles. The word apostle literally means one who was sent. That's all it means. Jesus was sending them out to proclaim the good news of the risen Christ. Resurrection Sunday, transformation. No longer disciples, now they're apostles. And the truth is, Jesus' cause is now our mission. Not just them, it's our mission. It is a mission of every believer to proclaim the good news. Everybody here has a responsibility to teach others about Jesus, to witness for him. The mission is the same for us as it was for them. Go out and share Jesus with people. But where were the disciples? They were hiding. They were afraid. And so Jesus comes to his disciples to turn their fear into courage. He wants to transform them. Not just disciples into apostles. He wants to go from fearful to courageous. Jesus knew there was courage in there somewhere. Otherwise, he wouldn't send them out. It was their mission, his cause, their mission. He was sending them. But he came to reveal their courage. That very morning, John and Peter had left the secrecy and safety of their hiding place, hadn't they? They ran to the tomb of Jesus. It's about the dumbest place you could go if you're hiding. 
If you're a Roman guard or Pharisees looking for the disciples, where would you look? Jesus' tomb. Because they knew that Jesus said, I will rise again at the third day. The disciples didn't get it, but Jesus' enemies, they remembered. They knew Jesus was coming. They said, he's going to come back. They were clever. They wanted to make sure that Jesus' body could not be taken. That's why they put a guard on it. The Pharisees remembered that Jesus said he was coming back. But the disciples didn't. Isn't that funny? His enemies remembered, but they did not. So if you had to look for the disciples, where would you look? The tomb. To prove that they're trying to steal his body. To say he rose again. But John and Peter run there anyway. So there is courage. It wasn't that they lacked courage. They lacked confidence. They lacked confidence. Up until this point, their confidence was in Jesus. They were following him around. But when he was arrested and crucified, and they were alone, fear took over. So Jesus comes and turns them from disciples into apostles. He does something else which is critical. Something we need to understand. It says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now watch, I know what you're thinking. You know, I think Holy Spirit, that's like Acts 2. That's like the whole tongues of fire and speaking other languages and that kind of stuff. We all remember that scene in Acts 2. But Jesus has gone into the grave and he has come out again. There has to be transformation. What God the Son does here is exactly what God the Father did at the beginning of time. In Genesis 2, he formed Adam out of the dust and the dirt and he breathed on him says in verse 7 of chapter 2, God breathed on Adam and he became a living person. Jesus became physically, Adam became physically alive in that moment. Now the disciples are already physically alive, obviously. But they needed to be born again. They needed new spiritual life. They need to go from old covenant faith to new covenant faith. From old life to new life. Remember Jesus told Nicodemus, he must be born again of water and of spirit. He must be washed clean of his sin. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He's done that bit. But you need to be born again of the spirit. A new spirit, God living within. And that is what Jesus did for his disciples in this moment. He breathed on them so they were born again. New life, new spirit, God living within them. So they have the authority to declare who is saved and who is not saved. Who is forgiven, who is not forgiven. Not that they can forgive sin. Because only God can forgive sin. Through the cross, through believing in Jesus Christ. That our sin is forgiven. It is forgiven by believing in Jesus. The disciples just can't say, you're forgiven, unless that person comes to the cross and says, Jesus, forgive me. That is how you are forgiven. But the disciples do have the authority to state on the confession of someone's faith, Yes, you are saved. Yes, you now belong to God. They have that authority. On the confession of someone's faith, they can go, welcome to God's family. Welcome, you have been saved. They're not only disciples, you are apostles, sent forth with authority to preach the good news. So that was the first day. Resurrection Sunday. But the story isn't quite finished there. Because there's someone missing. Someone missing. And John chapter 20, verse 24, we read this. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe 
without seeing him. The disciples were hiding together. They were made apostles together. They received new life together, except for one, Thomas. While the others, in their fear and uncertainty, in their grief, they sought fellowship with each other. They stayed together. Thomas sought solitude and loneliness. He wasn't with the other disciples, when they, and when they tried to tell them Jesus was alive, he wouldn't believe it. Thomas is the seeing is believing kind of guy. I know Thomas cops a lot of criticism, doubting Thomas and all that. When you think Thomas, that's the first thing you think of, isn't it? Doubting Thomas. But I think I understand Thomas. I like solitude as well. That's why I had four children. So I appreciate it more when I have it, that's what I mean. But I think I get Thomas. I think Thomas was so devastated by Jesus' death, he didn't even want to entertain the possibility that Jesus could be alive in case he had his hopes dashed again. He couldn't handle it. If they said Jesus was alive and they were wrong, he simply couldn't handle the disappointment again. Thomas was a courageous disciple. Don't forget that when Lazarus died in John 11, the other disciples tried to warn Jesus about going back to him. They said, remember in Judea you got stoned, like they tried to stone you last time, Jesus? They tried to stone you and kill you. I don't think you should go back there again. But what did Thomas say? All the other disciples were like, I don't think you should go back. Thomas said, let's go and die with Jesus. That's what he said. Let's go too and die with Jesus. Maybe a little bit brash, maybe a little bit eager. But Thomas was all in for Jesus. He believed in Jesus. But when he saw Jesus crucified, and Thomas didn't die as well, because Thomas, he abandoned Jesus like the rest of them. He ran away like all the other disciples. He was, let's go die with Jesus. But did he? No. He abandoned Jesus too. He scattered and it was too much for him. He couldn't deal with the, the shame, the regret. He couldn't deal with the grief of losing Jesus. He had lost everything and he wasn't willing to risk it again. The truth is, there is power in fellowship. If only Thomas had remained with the other disciples instead of mourning alone. If only he had not given up on meeting with them. He had no one to encourage him. And because he wasn't there, he missed seeing Jesus on Resurrection Sunday. He missed out. He missed out on the joy. There's power in fellowship. There's power in meeting together. That's why the Word tells us never to give up on meeting, praying together, eating together. It restores us. Because remember, we're part of the same family. We have the same Father. Jesus calls us brothers and sisters, so we should call each other brothers and sisters. We're all part of the same family. Thomas missed out because he wasn't with his family. Thomas has to wait eight days. Eight days. Imagine eight days of the disciples going, Thomas, you've got to believe. We really saw Jesus. We really saw him. Thomas going, I won't believe it till I see it. Eight days of that. And they're all together again. And Jesus appears once more. And Thomas sees the marks for himself. And in one moment, he is transformed. My Lord and my God. Thomas went from despair to deep conviction. Once again, Thomas is all in for Jesus like he was before. And Jesus gives one last line that you might miss in this story. Jesus says to him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Just a reminder to Thomas, Thomas, you missed out. You could have believed without having to see me and you would have been blessed because of that. Blessed like the other disciples weren't blessed because they were there. If you'd only believed without having to see me, you've been blessed. Do you know who believes without having seen Jesus? Every single person in this room who believes in Jesus. Every single person watching at home who believes in Jesus, you've never seen him. Not in person, so you can put your fingers in the holes in his hands, put your hand in his side. None of you have seen Jesus in person, in the flesh. Yet, you believe. 
And because you believe, Jesus says what? You are blessed. You are blessed in a way the disciples were never blessed because you have greater faith, because you believe without having seen. Remember, you are blessed. So that brings us to the end of Resurrection Sunday. It brings us to a verse in John that those of us being part of the John series should know well by now. John 20, 30 and 31. This is John writing to his audience. He says, The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. This is John writing to you. We have not seen Jesus, but if we believe in him, he says that we are blessed. That is Jesus' words himself. Jesus says to you, you are blessed. Do you see the empty tomb for what it is? It is the place where God meets us so we can become his sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. When Jesus stepped out of the grave into the garden, defeating sin and death forever, the grave stopped being a destination and instead became the doorway for us to return to the garden. Death is not the destination anymore. It is the doorway, it is the gateway back to paradise. Why did God remove the stone of the tomb? So Jesus could get out? No, obviously. He appeared in the locked room. I don't think a tomb is going to hold him. God opened the tomb. He moved the stone. Why? For who? For us. So we could see into the tomb and see that it is empty. The stone was removed not for Jesus, but for us. So we could look into the empty tomb and realize God has met with us. This is where God is making the way. Death is no longer a destination. If we believe in Jesus, we can return to God in the garden. Adam and Eve walked, as Pavey said on Friday, they walked with God in the cool of the evening, walking with their creator, talking with him. That is something that up until now was not available to anyone. But now because of the empty tomb, we get to return to paradise and we can walk with our God in the garden in the cool of the evening. You can walk with your creator and see him face to face. Walk with Jesus and see him face to face. That is what the empty tomb means. Do you see what your life is now? That your life is to be lived for the cause of Christ. That's your mission. You have a purpose. Not accidental. Not random. You are here on purpose. In order that you can believe in Jesus. And then help other people believe in Jesus. A life in fellowship. We're meant to do this together. As a family. As brothers and sisters. That Jesus wants you to replace your fear with courage. Do not be afraid any longer. Be courageous. Not even death can hold you down. And know that you are blessed. You are blessed. Blessed in a way that others aren't. Because you believe without having seen Jesus. Because you declare that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead. You are saved. And today, Resurrection Sunday, if you are saved, you get to return to the garden and be with God. You see the empty tomb for what it is. Hope, resurrection, life, abundant. I want to finish with a verse that was also written by John, but not from his gospel. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have seen and heard. 
We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you that we, are, what we, are, what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things that you may fully share our joy. We can share their joy. We're not only a family together, we join in a family of every believer that has gone before us and every believer that will come after us. We share in fellowship with those original disciples. They are our brothers. Mary is our sister. We are part of God's family because of the empty tomb that leads us to the garden. I ask everyone to stand this morning. And we're going to pray together. While we... And while we are here with our eyes closed and our head bowed, on today of all days, maybe you've been listening this morning. And when I say that as believers, if you believe you're part of God's family, you recognize that that's not you. That you've never declared that Jesus is Lord. That you've never before understood that he was raised from the dead. Whether you're here this morning with us or you're watching online. Maybe you've been listening this morning and you're like, I want to be part of that family. Jesus has made a way for me. It's clear now. Maybe there's a stirring in your heart. Maybe God's been speaking to you this morning. Jesus made the way for you. The empty tomb shows you that death doesn't have to be the destination. That there is life in abundance beyond the grave. You get to go back to the garden where God made Adam and Eve. He gave them paradise. And we can now return to paradise. This morning, if you're standing here and you're ready to declare that Jesus is Lord, that you want to return to the garden, that you want to share in this family and be a brother or a sister of Jesus to everyone in this room and to everyone who's gone before us, while every eye is closed and every head is bowed, I want you to raise your hand this morning. No one's looking around at home. If that's you, I want you to reach out. Comment on the Facebook and the chat or the YouTube chat. Reach out to us if that's you this morning. If you're saying, Lord, I want to be part of your family. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he rose again. The tomb was empty. And that means I can be with you forever, God. If that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand. Everyone's looking around. Everyone's got their eyes closed. You're not raising it for me. You're raising it to God to say, I believe in you. And it's simple. It's simple to become God's children. You just need to say, Jesus, come into my life. I make you Lord of my life. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you are the Messiah. Forgive me of my sin. I believe that you were raised from the dead so I can have eternal life. The word simply says, if you declare that he is the Son of God and believe in your heart he was raised from the dead, you are saved. That's all you need to do. That's you this morning, you've done that. If you just ask God to be Lord of your life, if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you are saved. That's you, I want you to speak to somebody. Reach out to us. We want to journey with you. We want to journey with you because you are now our brother and sister. And so that brings us to the rest of us. The ones who already believe. The ones who believed in Jesus without having seen him. We declare that Jesus is Lord. We believe in our hearts that he rose from the dead. Lord, I want you to open our hearts to that we understand. We understand what the empty tomb means. It means that we get to be with you forever. And not only that, we no longer have to be entombed by our grief or our shame or our guilt or our regret. Lord, you want to set us free. Jesus didn't come to give us life just eternal. 
He wants to give us abundant life now. Abundant life now. You want us to live a full life now, God. For everybody here who feels in tomb, who feels that they are held back, there's something they can't move past. I pray that they would leave it in the tomb. They would leave it in the tomb and they would walk out into the garden. They would leave it behind just as Jesus left his wrappings behind, left those linen coverings, he left them behind. Let us leave those things in the tomb and walk into the garden and to life in abundance, a life free of those things that try to hold us back. Let us not live lives that are fearful, but like the disciples, the apostles, let us be courageous. Let Jesus turn your fear into courage. Let's be bold. Let's be courageous. And God, let us remember that we are blessed. Jesus, yourself, you yourself call us blessed. You call every single person in this room blessed because we believe in you yet have not seen you. We are blessed in a way that others are not. So let us live lives that actually reflect what we believe. Let us be people who walk like we are blessed, who talk like we are blessed, who act like we are blessed, who think like we are blessed, who love like we are blessed. Let us be transformed this morning on Resurrection Sunday because Jesus changed the whole world today. Let us live lives that actually look blessed. Let us be a blessing to others to show them what Jesus is really like so they may receive him as well. Lord, we see the empty tomb and we realize we understand its significance. We understand that it is the mercy seat where you, God, made a way where there was no way. That you invite us back to know you, to be with you, to love you, and to be loved by you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for Resurrection Sunday. And on this day, we will rejoice. We will leave from this place full of joy because we have life and life in abundance. Because we get to share in the garden and paradise with you forever and ever. And we get to walk with you in the cool of the evening side by side with our creator. Side by side with our saviour forevermore. It is a good day God. It is a good day. It is the greatest day. Let us never forget that because of this day, we are blessed. We share the same Father. We are part of your family. Praise be to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us here this morning. Thank you for joining us online. It is a great day. If you need anything, if you made a decision for Christ this morning, I ask that you reach out to us. Type in the chat, send us an email. Reach out to us. We would love to be with you and share love with you. We pray that you be blessed. Have a great week. See you next Sunday. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.